Thanks for joining us today on the Harvest Podcast. Now here's today's message. We pray that it will bless your life as you listen. If you would, have your Bibles. If you have your Bibles, your smartphones, video games, whatever you use to look at the Word, turn to Luke chapter 18. Now, let me say that I would really appreciate it if you would not throw your King James Bibles at me. But this morning, I'm going to read our text from uh, the New Living Translation. I usually don't do this. I usually uh, read from the New King James Version. But, but for emphasis, this parable is, is very, um, very extensive. It explains it well in the New Living Translations. But, but let me hasten to say, it's okay, because I asked the Lord, and he said it was all right. If I read from this this one time, so don't, don't throw anything at me. Don't throw a shoe. Don't throw your Bible. We're just going to flow with it. Luke chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. Interesting story. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Now there was a judge in a certain city, Jesus said, who neither feared God nor cared about people. A widow of that city came to him repeatedly saying, Give me justice in this dispute with my enemy. The judge ignored her for a while, but finally he said to himself, I don't fear God, I don't care about people, but this woman is driving me crazy. I'm going to see that she gets justice because she is wearing me out with her constant request. Then the Lord said, learn a lesson from this unjust judge. Even he rendered a just decision in the end. So don't you think God will surely give justice to his chosen people who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will grant justice to them quickly. But look how Jesus ends this parable. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith. Now, versus later. Instant versus delayed. Immediate versus prolonged. The more society evolves, the less patient we become. If you have any doubt, take a Sunday drive during rush hour traffic. You'll get a lot of waves. But in order for the Christian to maintain their faith and continue to pray, you're going to have to have the ability to embrace and accept delayed gratification. Friend, listen to me. If you have to have instantaneous fulfillment, you are not going to be a great prayer because you have to be willing to pay down on your need in installments. 
We have to understand the layaway plan of prayer and know that it may not happen according to our hectic schedule, but eventually God is going to answer what we pray to him about. Is there anyone here today that's waiting on something from the Lord? Amen. You know, <clears throat> getting older has its difficulties. You know, Travis is always telling us about how old his kids are getting. I am wearing underwear older than Travis's kids. I mean, come on. They're clean. They haven't been washed for that long. They're, they're clean. But they're that old. So if I keep doing this, that just means the elastic band is wearing out and pulling my pants up. I mean, every morning I get up and I have to introduce myself to new aches and pains. But the other side of the coin is that getting older has its benefits because as you age, you get to look at life from a broader perspective, perspective because of what you've seen and what you've experienced. Now, when I was a kid, the culture was that most big-ticket items were bought on layaway. Back then, there wasn't many credit cards around, and so the idea of owing someone, imagine this, was kind of frowned on because you never knew what was going to happen. And so you'd go to the store, Sears, Montgomery Ward, something like that, and you'd get what you wanted, a coat, school clothes, a washer, a dryer, because, you know, back then you couldn't buy it and then figure out how you're going to pay for it. You had to pick it out, and then every week or so when you got paid, you would go pay down on that item that you had picked out. Then in eight weeks or 12 weeks, however long it took, you'd make your last payment, and you could take the merchandise home. Now, for those of you under 40 years old, I know you don't have a clue of what I'm talking about. Layaway what? Layaway who? Benny, we all thank you for that information. After church, we are going to Target and put something in layaway. Now, I know, <clears throat> excuse me, I know this sounds out of date, but it works. Because when you finally got that washing machine, no one came and took it from you. Hello? When you finally got that dryer home, you didn't have to dodge threatening phone calls. Where's my 1995 this month? When you finally got it, it was yours. And although you had to wait a while to get it, it was worth waiting on. But hey, we've watched that go out of style. Now we have instant credit, microwave credit. My daughter Cecily got her first credit card application when she was 12 years old. My grandson, Shane, he got his first application for a credit card last week. And he's 18 months. I'm not paying for it. You know, it's funny. Talking about credit card. Remember when they first came out? And all the Christians thought it was a mark of the beast straight from the book of Revelation? Because you couldn't buy bread if you didn't have the numbers. 
Well, that new technology, it took off, and less and less are we using tangible finances. I mean, why should we? We could buy everything instantly. But you know, it seems to work for a while, but after a period of time, it'll blow up in your face because things that come too fast, things that come too easy, don't have that much value to them, and we don't appreciate them as much as the things for which we have to wait. And so, because time has passed, as I've gotten older, I, I've forgotten what real oatmeal is. I'm not talking about the kind that you buy in a package, you add water to it, you put it in the microwave, and then you have oatmeal while you're putting your shirt on. I'm talking about the kind of oatmeal that has to cook for a while. <clears throat> this week, Starla cooked a hot roast. Oh, my goodness. Fresh, hand-cut vegetables. Real mashed potatoes, not flakes. Real mashed potatoes. Gravy made from scratch. Macaroni and cheese made from scratch. Homemade brownies that she still won't tell me the secret ingredient to. Brownies, you look at it and you gain two pounds. Now, she could have just as well put in a Hungry Man TV pot roast dinner in the microwave. She could have done that and it would have saved hours and an awful lot of work, but I guarantee you it would not have tasted the same. We think pot roast is pot roast, but there is a difference between things that happen quickly and things that happen over time. Man, my stomach's growling. I can't believe it. I started talking about food. Maybe if I get a drink, it'll calm it down. So our text, Jesus is using this woman to give us an indication that there are some things, <clears throat> hey, that are worth waiting for. Now, if you don't get this concept, please listen to me. If you do not get this concept we're going to talk about today, you're not just going to have trouble in the area of prayer. You're going to have trouble in every area of your life. And your finances, if you don't get this message, you're going to fool around and buy what you want, but then you're going to end up begging for what you need. Hello? You're going to have an awesome car, but you're going to be backed up on your payments. I know I'm sure sorry that uh, your kids don't have school clothes, but man, you've got a killer entertainment center. If you don't understand priorities and patience, you're going to fool around, as my dad used to say, major on the minors and minor on the majors. So delayed gratification not only puts things in order, but it teaches you the art of waiting. And so Jesus is teaching us about prayer from the perspective of waiting. Now, as we look at this parable, we understand that the culture of the time suggests that a husbandless woman is a voiceless woman. My, how times have changed. I haven't met a voiceless woman that I can remember. No offense, ladies, it's hey, all good. 
But during that time in that society, if a woman had no man to speak for her, she had no voice. But think about it, even in our own country, it wasn't that long ago that women couldn't vote. But now, look, we have ladies running for president. So we have made progress in some areas. But back in Bible times, women were told to keep silent in the church. I wonder if that was because of gossip. Just kidding, ladies. Just kidding. I'm going to get on your good side here in a minute. But Jesus points out that she's a widow woman without a voice to show us, to show us how powerless she is to think she can go before a judge. It was ridiculous for her to think that the judge would see her and hear her complaint. She's a woman. She's a widow woman. She has no one to speak for her. And yet she goes before the judge and says, give me justice against my enemy. Now, her enemy is not the fact that she's widowed. Her problem isn't the fact that she's a woman. Her problem might be compounded and aggravated by the fact that she's a widow woman, but that's not the problem. And she's not going to the judge and say, hey, judge, find me a man so I can have a voice. She said, no, I'm satisfied to live in my situation, but judge, I need you to deal with my excess trouble. Now, we all have hardships and problems and things that we have to deal with. Hey, face it, not everyone is going to like you. You know, you can't be Mr. Popular like me and everyone just loves you to death. <laughs> Let you read some of my emails sometimes. But it doesn't, matter, it doesn't matter what you say or what you do, you're going to have some issues that cannot be eliminated because they're just a result of living in an imperfect world. So she doesn't mind living with the things she has to live with, the injustices, the burdens. And so she says to the judge, I don't mind being a widow. I don't mind not having a voice. But this adversary is too much, and I need you, judge, to give me justice against my enemy. Have you ever just needed someone to fix it? Just needed someone to take care of it. So she comes to the judge. And what does a judge do? Totally ignores her. Doesn't give her the time of day. Don't you hate being ignored? Man, I do. You go to a store, there are clerks all around, but they're all too busy to wait on you. And what are they doing? They're talking to each other or talking on their cell phone. It's frustrating. You know, by nature, I am a people pleaser, so I want people to please me in return. I'm not talking about being spoiled like Starla. I'm just talking about common courtesy. She's really not spoiled. Well, she is spoiled, but she spoils sweet. She's not, she's not spoiled rotten. She spoils sweet. But, you know, people, a lot of people can handle rejection, and I'm one of them. And so this woman came to the judge, and he completely ignored her. But she didn't give up. She came back over and over again and again, and guess what? She still got a no. She still did not get relief. But she kept coming back. She knew what she wanted. When I was 16 years old, my dad said that if I wanted to keep living with him, I had to get a job. And since I had no better offers, I went and looked for a job. Well, Ed Rich, most of you know him. His family, 
lot sitting right over there, a lot of them. Well, he owned a tire store. And I thought that would be a wonderful line of employment for me at 16 years old. Now, remember, this was my first job, my first real job, my first paying job that I ever had. And so as I look back on it, I'm convinced Ed didn't hire me because I had experience because I didn't have any. He hired me because I wore him out. Before service, after service, every Sunday, even in the men's room, I kept asking Ed for a job. He would be standing by the urinal, and I would come up and stand beside him and say, Hey, Ed, I'm a good worker. You know, I won't let you down. I'll do you a good job. I was lying. I was lying. I wasn't a good worker. I didn't know how to work. I never worked in my life. But the truth is, I thought it would be an easy job. It wasn't. Shirley Preston, where are Shirley? Daryl, her husband, was my supervisor. I think that man hated me. Now, Shirley promises me that he didn't, that he really kind of liked me. But you wouldn't know it if you worked for him. It was the hardest job I ever had. And the hardest part of it was that I had to get up at 5 o'clock in the morning. Have you ever tried to get a 16-year-old up out of bed at 5 o'clock in the morning? Now, for those of you that might have a question, and I know probably none of you do, I, you know, I'm sure you're set on the fact that it was not Bonnie that was waking me up. Sure wasn't Terry waking me up either. I mean, to them, 11 o'clock was morning. My point is this, friend, you ought to have something that you want bad enough that you're willing to be relentless and tenacious enough to fight for it. I don't understand people who say, well, I sent out an application and no one calls, so I guess that's all I can do. You are not looking for a job, you're just fishing. I've heard people say, well, I guess my marriage is over and they do nothing about it. Listen, if you want something bad enough, you will do whatever it takes. This woman wanted relief, but her relentlessness finally wore this judge down. Now, Jesus also tells us the attitude of the judge. The judge is not a godly man. He doesn't reverence God. He doesn't serve God, and he has no respect for man. So you can imagine if he has no respect for a man that a woman didn't stand a chance. Now, ladies, I want to say something to you. Do not, never, ever let people relegate you to a group because of your gender, because of the color of your skin, because of your faith, because of your age, or even the color of your hair. Don't let anyone stick you off in a corner and tell you what you can't be, what you can't do, and what you can't have. You tell them straight out, I am a child of the king, I was created in his image, and buddy, you are messing with the wrong sister. I told you, ladies, I was going to get back on your good side. So verse 5 says she wore him down with her constant requests. My, sounds like my poor brother-in-law. Mm. Pray for that man. Pray for that man. 
But you know, there are some things that you are not going to get instantly. It's not going to happen. You have to wear them down by continual pressure. And we're well aware of this if we have kids. Daddy, can we go to McDonald's? Not today, sweetheart. We're in a hurry. Don't have time to stop. Daddy, Daddy, I want to I, I go to McDonald's. I want a Happy Meal. I said, no, we don't have time today. Can't, can't go. Daddy, look, there's McDonald's there. There's McDonald's coming. No! I said, no! Put your foot down. Uh, I'll have two Happy Meals and a Big Mac to go, please. Is there anyone here that can say amen to that? Over and over and over again, she showed up until finally the judge said, okay, I will give you what you want because you are driving me crazy. Now, I know you're saying, hurry up and get to your point. Okay. I understand. I get delayed gratification with layaway buying. I understand with oatmeal. I understand it with starless pot roast. But with prayer, with prayer, is Jesus implying with this parable that continual prayer will change God's mind? Do you understand how mind-boggling that is? That because of your relentless commitment to prayer, God will reverse the verdict? Now, I am sure I am sure there are more than one of you out there and you're thinking, Mike, you're outside your mind. But we understand that because you're still in shock from looking at Starla's last credit card statement. We're going to give you a pass. But whatever God's will is, that's what it's going to be. And when God says something is over, it is settled and done with. Not so fast, grasshopper. Isaiah 38. Isaiah told King Hezekiah, King, set your house in order. You're going to meet your maker. But Hezekiah knew something about prayer. Verse 2 says, Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed, Lord, all of these years have I served you with a loyal heart. And Hezekiah whipped bitterly. He prayed, tears streaming down his face. Hezekiah knew that the grave could not praise God. And God saw it and God heard it. And God said, I have seen your prayers. I have heard your prayers. I have seen your tears. Surely I will add 15 years to your life. And as a sign, God rolled back the sun in the sky. Friends, sometimes you need God to reverse the verdict. Sometimes you need God to stop the sun. Sometimes you need God to open up the Red Sea. I know they only said she has two weeks to live, but God, I know you can turn it around. I know they said you need surgery, but God can back up the sun on your behalf. I don't know what you need God to do today. But just because you prayed and it didn't get done doesn't mean that you are not going to get it. 
Keep praying. Keep paying down installments. Pray it over your lunch break. Pray it while you're driving to work. Lord, I'm bringing this up again. Lord, it's me one more time. Let's talk about this one more time. You promised me, Lord, that my family would be saved. Lord, I'm going to promise you any. I'm going to praise you anyway. But you promised me that I was going to receive my blessing. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. Don't stop praying. God can reverse the decision. Now, there are some things that when you pray about them, God moves immediately. For example, Starla says, I need a new pair of black shoes. Miraculously, miraculously, the next morning on my doorstep is a new black pair of shoes. It's a miracle. I pray for a new Ferrari. I don't even see red Volkswagen. She prays for a new black pair of shoes and shows up on the doorstep. She doesn't even have to go get them. But apparently, apparently there are some things that God does not move until you have paid up your premiums on prayer. The question is, how bad do you want it? How bad do you want it? If you only want it bad enough to go to the judge one time, you really don't want it. It's really not that important. But if you want it so bad, so bad, that every time you wake up in the morning, it's back on your mind again, and you get up, and you get dressed, you said, I think I'm going to go back down to the courthouse. I think I'm going to go talk to that judge again. Now, friend, I'm not talking about the sudden miracles. I'm not talking about the right now miracles. I'm not talking about turning water into wine. I'm talking about the so slow process of simmering prayer where you prayed about it and you prayed about it. And even when you didn't get the answer, you prayed about it some more. And you, because you know it's in his word, because you know it is his will. And so you keep bringing it up, bringing it up saying, Lord, I don't know when and I don't know how, but before I die, Lord, I want to see you do what you promised me you would do. Now, we have a God who does something that we can't understand in our humanity. For lack of a better term, we have a God who changes his mind. Now, the term anthropomorphic, I don't know how to spell it or anything. I had to look it up. Anthropomorphic. Well, it means ascribing human attributes to a deity or to a divine moment. And in the Old Testament, there are scriptures that say God repented. Now, that doesn't mean that God repented like we repent. But it's something that God does in his divinity where he can reverse the verdict. He can open the door when the door was already shut. You're still not sure, Grasshopper? Obviously, you guys didn't watch Kung Fu. I remember the TV show Kung Fu. Well, yeah, you know who Grasshopper is. Okay. So it's just not funny then. You know, the, you know who it is, but you don't think it's a funny joke. 
Next is chapter 32 when the children of Israel got tired of waiting on Moses to come down from the mountain. They got bored. Well, they went and made a golden calf. And they worshipped it. Well, that ticked God off, as you can imagine. And he says to Moses in verse 10, Leave me alone so that my wrath may consume them. But Moses pleaded with the Lord his God. Moses prayed. Turn your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. And verse 14 says, So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he had said he would do. Folks, I want you to know prayer changes things and prayer will reverse the verdict. Don't be afraid to pray until it moves. And if it doesn't move, keep on praying. Because if there is any way to turn, or turn it around, it is going to happen through prayer. Now that thing that's been a stubborn place, that thing that's been a stronghold in your life, the key to unlocking that door is prayer. Just when you were about to give up, just when you decided, well, maybe it's not his will, maybe I wasn't supposed to have it anyway, God wants you today to wake up your faith and be tenacious like Moses, and God will reconsider your situation. Sure enough, for the next few minutes, I want to give you some points to add power. Your prayer. Did you hear that? My phone went off. Uh, no, it's my wife texted me saying you're too long winded, speed it up. Okay, baby. I never forget to turn my phone down. I apologize. Sorry. For the next few minutes, I'm going to give you some points add power to your prayer and the first one is the power of passion the power of passion now most people don't get their prayers answered simply because they don't have the power of passion and the power of passion is simply the power of wanting it it's desire i mean you'd be surprised how many people struggle in the area of passion now i'm not talking about soap opera passion I'm talking about legitimate passion for the things of life, for the things of the Lord, for wholesome living. They drift through life passionless. They never get much of anything because they never allow themselves, never allow themselves to take the risk of wanting it bad enough. And they reason, well, if I don't want it, then I can't be disappointed. And so they go through life living in neutral. But listen, in the Bible, it was passionate people who had their prayers answered. It was passionate people like Hannah in 1 Samuel who prayed like she was drunk. Eli the priest accused her of being drunk in the temple, but Hannah said, I'm not drunk. I am just pouring out my soul to the Lord. She was praying with passion. Jesus said in Mark chapter 11, verse 24, whatever things you ask, in other words, whatever things you desire when you pray, believe that you will receive them and you shall have them. Jesus said, hey, if you don't desire it, then don't bother praying about it. But if you want it bad enough, and if you pray according to that passion, and you believe what you're praying, you are going to see what you're praying about. In our text, the power of this widow woman, that she, the, the power this widow woman had was in her passion. 
If the enemy thought that because her husband was dead, she'd have no voice, he was wrong. If the judge thought that because he was a judge that she wouldn't come before him, he was wrong. But because this woman wanted something done, she came every single day. Do you know how much passion you have to have to want something every single day and bring it up again and again and again and never give up? I may be 70, but I still want a husband. I may be 45, but I still want my college degree. Lord, I know I've asked you a hundred times, but I still want you to do this. But the question is, do you want it bad enough that you're willing to even risk your image? Some things microwave prayer doesn't get the job done. Do you want it bad enough to wear the material out on your knees? Powers in the passion. And friend, that's why the devil tries so hard to destroy your passion. That's why he attacks you all the time. That's why the enemy tries to discourage you. That's why the enemy tries to keep you down. The enemy tries to get you doubting. Because it is going to be your faith combined with your passion that moves God in your life. Whatsoever you desire, believe it when you pray and you shall have it. The second point is obvious, but sadly many times it's not. And it is the power of prayer. The power of prayer. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 6, when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, the New International American translation of Mike says, stop talking to everyone at the water cooler. Quit crying on Facebook. Close your office door. Go in the bathroom stall if you have to and say, Lord, you see this situation you see the predicament I'm in, and you surely are able to deliver me. The Bible says, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And you and I are going to have to believe, we are going to have to believe that the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now, those of you who know me know that I can't go through a sermon without meddling. So I'm going to just give you a disclaimer up front. But people today use prayer as a last resort. They say, well, there's nothing else we can do now but pray. You should have been praying a long time ago. Maybe it wouldn't have gotten so bad if you had been praying about it. We need to live by the commandment, shut thy mouth and pray about it. Hang up the phone and pray about it. Get off your computer and pray about it. Turn off Netflix and pray about it. We need prayer warriors more than ever. What happened to prayer meeting anyway? We have prayer on Wednesday night, and there are five people here sometimes. When did we as individuals and we as a church and we as a nation stop praying? Listen, if you don't like my preaching, help me out and pray about it. 
If you don't like the coffee, pray about it. You don't like your job, pray about it. Hey, if you don't like your husband, pray about it. Stop worrying about it. Stop fussing about it. Stop cussing about it. Don't tell your friends they've got their own problems. I'll give you a paradox. Shut your mouth and pray. Meddling's over. Maybe. Number three, the power of patience. The power of patience. This woman wore the judge down because she was patient. She was steady and consistent and willing to go every day and ask the same thing. The judge became frustrated, but she didn't. And she was the one with the enemy. What does Hebrews 10.36 say? Where you need patience so that after, after, so that after, so that after you've done the will of God, so that after you've done the will of God, you will receive the promise, the power of patience. Abraham waited 100 years to get Isaac. It took 80 years for Moses to see his burning bush. David had to wait 15 years to be king. But the real patience award goes to Noah. Think how bad that ark had to stink. You talk about patience. Romans 12, 12, be patient in tribulation. Be consistent in prayer. The Bible says, they that wait upon the Lord, friend, wait it out. Don't give up. Don't give in. Just wait on him. God doesn't always pay on Friday, but God always does pay on time. Do not grow weary. Do not grow weary while doing good. For in good season you are going to reap the power of passion the power of prayer the power of patience and then number four the power of persistence persistent people get things that other people don't get Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6 states that for a person to come to God, they must believe that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Diligently seek him. Not a one-hit wonder. Diligently seek him. It's not seeking him one time and because you didn't get a microwave answer, you give up and try something else. But diligently means over and over and over again. Friend, listen to me. If you're facing an addiction, if you have a problem in your life that you can't seem to get over, if you have an illness that you just can't seem to get healing for, you can't just pray once or twice or three times and say, well, I guess it doesn't work. You've got to be tenacious. You've got to be persistent. You have to keep saying, Lord, it's me again. Lord, here I am. It's me standing in the need of prayer. I'm still here, Lord. I'm still waiting on you, Jesus. I'm still waiting. In Matthew chapter 9, when the woman with the issue of blood saw Jesus passing by, verse 21 says, for she kept saying, for she kept saying, over and over and over again, she kept saying, if I only touch, if I only touch, if I only touch, if I only touch his garment, I will be healed. If she would have stopped one step short of the promise, she would have died bleeding in her unbelief. But she kept going. The power of persistence. In 2 Kings, Naaman had to dip seven times in the Jordan in order to be healed. 
The first dip didn't do it. The second dip didn't do it. The third dip didn't do it. We would have been gone 15 minutes ago. If he had stopped at number five, if he had stopped at number six, he would have died. But because he was persistent and went all the way to number seven, he received his promise. Friend, make no mistake. We are in a spiritual war. And we will win. We will win the war as long as we keep our faith. But now in that war are many battles. Many battles. And you need to understand that some battles are battles of attrition. Where you have to just be tenacious and you have to wear the enemy out. And God will reward your patience. Bow your heads with me if you would. Now, I don't know what you're what you're going through. I don't know how long that you've been suffering, but I can assure you God does. And in Joshua chapter 6, the children of Israel had just spent 40 years in the wilderness. And now they've just crossed over into the land of milk and honey, the promised land that had been promised to Abraham 500 years earlier. They had the promise. They could see the promise. But Jericho was still in their way. Jericho, a city with walls that was thought to be invincible. What is your Jericho today? What Walls are keeping you from victory. Well, God told Joshua to walk around the walls of Jericho every day for six days. Then on the seventh day, he said to walk around the walls seven times. And I want you to know that it was on that last time. It was the last time, the last lap. When the yoke broke. It was the last trip around to where the walls came down. Friend, I want you to know someone is on their last lap today. Someone here today is about to break through. Someone here that has been praying for a long time is about to touch the hem of his garment. And God is telling you today, don't give up. Don't give in. Keep on praying. Keep on believing. God is saying dip again. Walk again. Never give up on your promise. You see, friend, prayer is how things get done in the spirit realm. Now, with your heads bowed,
How many of you have things in your life that you need God to intervene in? Would you raise your hand? Things you've been praying about, things you've been believing for. Just lift your hand up. I mean, I'm surprised not every hand in this building isn't up. desires of your heart but you have to ask you have to believe well first things first this is going to be a little bit tougher we all have needs that we would like God to do in our life but how many of us are serious enough about it that we'll admit that we have things in our life that we know aren't pleasing to we know there are things in our life that could very possibly be hindering our prayers from making it to heaven. Would you raise your hand? Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Think about it for a minute. Let the Holy Spirit deal with you. If you'll get quiet with the Lord, He will bring those things to mind. others there are things that you know that you need forgiveness for thank you would you stand with me all over this room altar workers elders would you come take your place up here at the front the singers are going to create an atmosphere of worship and I'm going to leave the conclusion of this message to you. It's in your hands now. It's up to you. These altars are open. If you raised your hand, if you didn't raise your hand, uh, it's okay. But I invite you to come. I invite you to come. Come on, right now. Go ahead and start singing.